Welcome to episode 123 of Hustle and Pro. I'm your host, Kelly Walker. Today we're talking about unforeseen life-changing moments in sports, specifically one that impacted the life of our guest, Gavin Class. And we also have his fiance, Rachel Carwacki with us. Thanks for joining us, guys. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having us, Kelly. We're excited to be on here today and be able to share my story and, and share what me and Rachel and our family are doing with the Yolt Foundation. Me too. It's it's really impressive. And when I first heard about you guys, I knew I wanted to talk to you because hearing your story and your journey, I think will be impactful to people and you know helpful to somebody that's listening. So can you just sort of start with um, the, I know your story is a big one, but sort of start with the basics of, you know, what you, what you call your story, what, what happened to you, what you experienced. Okay. So, uh, actually in the, the football season of 2013, 2014, I was playing for Towson university and we actually ended up playing in Frisco in the national championship game versus North Dakota state that fall camp. I had a heat stroke. It was, it was during two days. We were conditioning at the end of the practice. I ended up collapsing at the end of practice. Um, my athletic training staff, my trainer just texted me yesterday or a couple of days ago. And, uh, you know, he's always praying for me this time of year. And, um, and I was immediately taken to the ice bass we had on the sidelines. And the EMS came picked me up, took me out of the ice bath, then brought me to the hospital. At the hospital, they recorded my temperature of being 108 degrees. After being in the ice bath. After being in the ice bath for a few minutes, for about probably five, five or so minutes. So they actually estimated my temperature being 111, which is the highest they had ever seen. Um, and so then my case was so severe that I had to get transported to the University of Maryland Medical Center, where I ended up going through a series of procedures. My, uh, my heart flatlined about 36 hours after my collapse. They had to resuscitate me, and then I was put onto the transplant list. Okay, so I needed a transplant. Um, I don't know how much you know about organ donation. But you can donate half of a liver. A liver can regenerate itself. And so you can donate half a liver and give it to somebody. But my body was in such failure, I needed a whole organ. Oh, wow. So if I received half a liver, it would have just, my body would ate the liver and destroyed it. So it wouldn't have been able to regenerate. I was placed on the liver, tran- or the, yeah, the liver transplant list and the miracle in itself, I received a liver within 12 hours. Wow. I was placed on the list because of my, my age and the severity of my situation. I was shot right to the top of the list. There was a liver not too far in Pittsburgh that they went and uh, medevaced up and got it and came back down. Then I received my transplant. My, uh, my kidneys started to come back. Very, very slowly. It was a couple week process. My kidneys come back. Um, but so I had, so overall I had a liver transplant as a result of a heat stroke. And then it took about a year and a half for me to recover from that. I ended up having a lot of complications in the hospital. 
Okay. And this, there's so much, I have so many questions. Um, how old were you then at this time? I, I was 20 years old. Okay. 20 years old. So yes. I just want to, my curiosity is sort of rewinding and learning. Um, you're obviously playing football in college, so you've probably played football forever. Were there any indications that like, did you have any underlying issues that you knew about or anything that would have said you're at risk for this or was it a complete shock? Right. So going back to, you know, kind of growing up playing other sports. So just kind of like your daughter, Kelly, um, me and my fiance, we both played lacrosse in high school. Rachel played at DU and um, Denver University. And um, from there, I was, you know, I hit a lot of roadblocks already trying to go to college and play football. Um, I you know, wasn't heavily recruited. I originally wanted to play lacrosse, but then I, you know, I gained, gained a lot of weight, grew a couple inches in high school. Then I was like, oh, I guess I'm, guess I'm playing football now. So, um, you know, kind of failed at the lacrosse path. And then, um, and then coming out, it didn't, it didn't seem hopeful that I'd be playing Division One football. I went Division Three first for two years. Then I was actually able to transfer to Towson, work my way to transfer to earn a preferred walk-on at Towson University and um, was there for a year, red-shirted. And then the next following year was when I had my heat stroke. And um, leading up to my heat stroke, you know, the signs, the symptoms, um, it could have happened to anybody that day. Okay. So you had been working out in pads in those two sports and probably conditioning your whole life and running a lot your whole life and been under that same, um, you know, workout structure, like regimen, right. Um, had, and you'd never had any issues like that in the past then. No, not, not at all. Um, the only thing I did have from here and there, you know, I got muscle cramps, mostly playing in summer lacrosse tournaments. We had gone through the acclimatization through the NCAA at the time. Back then it was, it was two days of helmets, two days of shells. Um, and now it's, it's actually seven days before they even put pads on. They've made, they've stretched out that link, that acclimation timeframe. Absolutely. Is that a result of, of athletes like you getting injured or having this happen to them? Yes, it's, it's, it's happened to, it's happened to a lot of kids. There's, there's been three football players within the past week that have died of a heat stroke on that the field. That have died of a heat stroke? In the past week. Oh, my goodness. Obviously, this is near and dear to you guys because it happened to you. You experienced it. Um, that, that brings in part of what your foundation, I'm, what you guys do, and I'm guessing exactly why you, you founded it. Can you tell me um, what YOLT is? Yeah, so I'll answer the first part, then I'll let Rachel answer a lot. So uh, um, YOLT Foundation is you only live twice, and that stems from me living my second life now after my transplant and being resuscitated, um, where it's I, you know, I'm going out every day, every single day to be able to make an impact in somebody's lives. And I carry that through positivity. When I was in the hospital, my uh, my uncle came up to me. And he asked me, he's like, how are you doing? And I was like, you know, I'm all right. I'm laying in a hospital bed. You know, things could be better. Um, but he's like, 
he's a, he told me right there, he's like, wrong. You're outstanding. And here's why. Because you woke up this morning and you had air to breathe in. You're able to do things that people that you might not have been able to done, you know, three, three days ago. Um, he, he taught me the importance of being able to appreciate and being grateful that every day is a, it's, it's a gift given to us. That's why, you know, we call it living in the present because every day is a gift where it's, I'm able to go out and be positive and, and, you know, show that to other people. And, uh, and so your, your foundation started when actually after my transplant, I wanted to compete in the transplant games. So kind of like the Paralympics, there's there's transplant games for people that have received organ transplants and people who have who have given organs and they've donated. Um, so I was going to these meetings and I I saw all these people just treating their lives like absolute garbage. Um, they would just show up. They, they'd be so unhealthy. You know, they'd be overweight. Um, just completely out of shape. And it's like, you were given a second chance at life. Cherish it and and take honor and in somebody died to save your life and show respect to that person that died for you to be able to to be able to go out every day and live to the fullest. And it's, you know, it's not people, you know, people all say YOLO and you know about what they have to do tomorrow it's like no that's not the goal the goal is to make the most reach your potential every single day and so that's how we um originally found a yo is wanting to create some type of programs for people with liver transplants we're not even just liver organ rachel when did you when did you come into this story yeah so i joined your foundation uh january 1st it's actually um yeah, uh, half a year from now. Okay. And it was honestly just something that was on my heart. And I knew I just wanted to be a part of this ministry. And I, I saw the passion um, with Gavin and his mom and his parents. And I, I just wanted to be a part of this. Um, and I just took a step of faith. And ever since then, we've just been really growing. Um, and just, you know, it's one life at a time. We've been just impacting lives. And it's just been so awesome to see and where we are now and where we want to be. So I love really- that one life at a time, because that's really all you can try to, you know, reach you. It's really hard and overwhelming to, to consider, okay, we've got to start this foundation and we got to fix everything for everybody or something. And that's a little overwhelming, but realistically it's one person at a time. If you can reach somebody and help them a little bit or help them improve their life or change their life. So when you came in in January, were y'all, you already knew each other. You guys were already. Yeah. So we were, uh, we were dating at the time. And then, um, a couple months later he proposed and, uh, now we're getting married in October. So a lot's been happening after that. What an exciting time. How did you guys meet? I lived with her, with her now brother-in-law when I was actually attending Towson University. Okay. So she, she was the little sister coming, hanging around her older sister. And, and that's, that's when we first met. I love that. That's great. I want to jump back into more of what the foundation does. Do you guys, um, do you work with how to prevent 
or improve conditions for athletes and how to, how to, for people to kind of know how to look for the possibility of having heat strokes and issues like that. Is that part of what the foundation does also? Well, sort of, we, we work with Corey, the Corey Stringer Institute. Corey Stringer was a Minnesota Viking that collapsed on the field due to a heat stroke. And his wife started the Corey Stringer Institute at the University of Connecticut, where he went to college. They're the leading researchers and, and activists on heat stroke in the country. So they go, they go around the country being able to, you know, they talk to, they talk to boards, you know, they get the whole state boards of the high schools, they get the, the medical staff, the EMS, the athletic directors, and they bring everybody together to help improve regulation. So they got a jump start on you and probably, you know, did a lot of the, of the legwork and progress. And then you guys joined in and, and helped them. And that's part of, part of what your, your mission is, I bet, just so that, you know, you don't want other people to have to go through what you went through, obviously. And so if people can, I, I, I say notice the signs, but you, it's one of those things you don't know until it's happening, that, that it's happening to you, but it sounds like prevention and policy and just like the way that the leaders of these sports or the administrators of, of these programs, um, the way that they can structure some safety protocols, I guess, or something like that makes a, a big impact. Yeah, absolutely. And we kind of already touched on it before, but at the climatization, that, that period is huge. That period is huge in getting the kids out in the heat and getting them used to moving around. Like you can't just go, most of these, you know, athletes, they're, they're inside all summer. And then right when they go to, you know, they're inside, except when they're at the pool, you know, and right when they go to football practice, they've got to have a period where they're acclimatizing to the heat. And so like my athletic trainer from college, Nathan Wilder just told me, he just said that they pushed it back to seven days. Whereas I told you before, it used to just be two days for us. Yeah. And they've also, They've eliminated two days out of college. Um, oh, where, really? Yeah, so there's no more two days in college anymore. And that happened a year or two after I was done playing. So the biggest things to help prevent were – so I shouldn't say prevent, but prevent sudden death. So heat, heat stroke is going to happen, and but the death can be prevented if steps are followed. Like – like what kinds of things do you look for there? The biggest thing is having the athletic training staff recognize a heat stroke and recognizing the signs and symptoms. And then um, you have to be able to, if someone is experiencing a heat stroke, you have to take the rectal, the rectal temperature. It is crucial. People think they can miss this step, but that was the step that wasn't, required when I was playing. And that's the step that could have saved me from a liver transplant. Wow. You said that you said they backtracked after the ice bath and all that, and they had to sort of estimate and all that, but that step wasn't a part of the normal protocol then. Correct. And it's, it's still, it's still just recommended. Um, it's not officially required yet. And the other thing is to cool first transport second. Um, so Maryland and Connecticut are the only states that have officially made that a law that, 
you have to cool before you trans transport. So don't wait on an ambulance, get you in the ice immediately. Immediately. But the huge part there is the rectal temperature because you'll be able to see when somebody's internal body temperature drops below 104 degrees. And that's when you can take them out and transport them. In Gavin's situation, if they would have took taken that temperature, none of this would have never happened. If his temperature would have reached down to 101, 102 degrees, all of this that he's experienced would have never happened. Because what? Because the the stress on the rest of your organs, the rest of your body wouldn't have been as severe and you wouldn't have, they wouldn't have started to shut down. What, so you're saying if you would have stayed in the ice bath long enough to reach the one Oh, what for below one Oh four. Yeah. Below one Oh four. Okay. Yeah. I've obviously didn't know that. I don't think most people do. That's really interesting. No. So the, and the other big thing is the ice tub is what saved my life. So now it is, it's, it's crucial for, I know there's a lot of rural high schools that don't have a lot of equipment, don't have access to ice machines, but coaches and athletic training stuff need during this time of year, they have to bring some type of method of cooling to the fields in case someone experiences a heat stroke. And is it, I mean, my guess is, if you don't think about it till it's happened, it's too late. You can't create an ice bath that's ready to go on the spot, right? It has to be done prior to. Correct. So we we were fortunate enough that we had ice baths because we were required to take ice baths after every tour day. But there's, there's a lot of schools that can't do ice tubs. So there's several other methods. There's, um, you can take a, you can take a tarp. And it's called the taco method. And you put the person in the tarp and you have hose water. You have people on each side and they're, they're shaking the cold water over top of the person. And then even if you don't have that, you can um, cover somebody completely iced down rags. So they have a cooler of rags out there on the field. You cover someone in the ice rags. I mean, it's got to be so I know it's so hard for coaches to know how hard to push kids. Um, even just in my own young kids scenarios this summer, I've, I went to pick up from a lacrosse practice, a conditioning workout. And I, I saw her stopping she got sick a few times and the coach it's you know, the tough love stuff, but it was a conditioning coach and told her to keep going and then made everybody watch her finish. And then she had to run more because she stopped and all these things. I'm like, uh, she's dehydrated now. She's vomited several times. And it just, you start to wonder like, what is that breaking point? How, how do these coaches know when to push people too far? Yep. And definitely taking the right, you know, like sleep, sleep is so important. Uh, the right recovery, um, you know, refraining from activity when you are sick or when you are feeling, you know, tired, um, and just being cautious about if you're trying a new supplement or medication. So just little things like that. Okay. I want to shift gears again and go, go back to, there's so many things. I want to go back to the organ transplant side of your story. 12 hours. That does seem incredibly fast because you hear about people that are on lists, organ transplant lists for a long time, for years, I guess. So you got expedited to the top of the list because your situation was so severe. You couldn't wait. Do you have a understanding of like what, what the, what your max timeline could, could have been like how long you were able to wait? 
I was at the max timeline. And so he was on um, a Mars Mars yeah. machine. It was a. Uh, it was the. I was the first one to use the liver dialysis machine. I know everyone knows a kidney dialysis, but it was the first liver dialysis machine, and we were lucky enough, well, fortunate enough, that. We were at University of Maryland Medical Center who had the machine. And that's what that's kind of what bridged the gap. That's what was able to keep me alive long enough to be able to receive the transplant. That's incredible that you are at the at the right place. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's I mean it the 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 experience itself, it it's got God's hand all along the way. Just, you know, everything happening from me at least getting put into the ice tub to me, you know, being at the right hospital to me getting a liver within 12 hours and, and going through everything I went to, went through where it was just stuff was meant to be where I wasn't supposed to die that day. That's amazing. What do I need to know? Or what, what do people need to know to be available and ready and there to help people? I definitely think, yes, everyone needs to be an organ donor. Um, one person can, can save up to eight lives and, uh, you can be a living donor, a deceased donor. Eight lives is a lot. That's, you don't think about that. And you don't think that you could be living also. A lot of people think it's a scary thought to think, oh, I don't want someone to choose to like end my life because they need to save someone else, which doesn't happen. Right. But, um, eight lives is pretty impactful. What, what else were you going to say? Well, so that's that's eight lives that can be saved through a crucial organ transplant. But there's there's a, there's tissue donors as well, so you can impact hundreds of lives with all your with all your veins, your blood vessels. You can be a skin donor. Um, you can donate your eyes, your corneas. Um, all that is still is still able to when you're registered. Um, so that, yeah, like Rachel said, that's the biggest thing is just, just being registered in the first place, but also people knowing that they can be a living donor. You can donate half of your kidney while st- I'm half of your liver while st- still being alive. You can donate one of your kidneys while still being alive to be able to have people to be able to give their organs is, is so huge. And it's, it's not, you know, people. You know, doctors, hospitals are not going to mutilate your bodies for science. And it's your life, your, your organs are going to be given to somebody. We met, we just met um, at a, at a race. We met a mom who was a survivor of her child who died in a car accident. And what's amazing to me is that she's had dinner with every single family that's been given one of her son's organs. Those organs can change, not always save the life of a patient, but it keeps someone's child alive or brother or sister alive. And then it's so many lives beyond just the patient that you're saving. I love y'all's story. Um, so Gavin class, very inspirational to hear, you know, what you went through, gosh, eight years ago. And I love hearing how far you've come. And how, you know, the support and the, how you got through it and that you now support and help others, both of you guys through the Yolt Foundation. So I'll share all that in the information in the episode so people can go check out more, but it's Y-O-L-T for you only live twice foundation. Love that name. I appreciate your time. I know you're busy out there in Colorado, but, uh, I love hearing your story and learning from you guys. So thank you so much. 
Kelly, thank you so much for having us on and allowing us to be able to share with you and share our story. Thanks, Kelly. We appreciate you.